Welcome to The Lead, a podcast where we learn how to get ahead in the media industry from the people who did it. I'm Noelle Lashley. On today's episode of The Lead, I talked to Haitian Times publisher Gary Pierre Pierre. He started his career with a few years in the Peace Corps. Then he became a reporter at the South Florida Sun Sentinel and the Lakeland Ledger. In 1993, he became a reporter at the New York Times and was on a team that won a Pulitzer for its coverage of the 1993 World Trade Center bombing. Today, in addition to his role at the Haitian Times, he is a senior producer and host of the show Independent Sources on CUNY TV and the executive director of the City University's Graduate School of Journalism Center for Community and Ethnic Media. In this episode, we talk about building a publication from the ground up, connecting with the people you work with, and the role of journalists in today's world. But first, a word from our sponsor. This podcast was created by the Cox Institute for Journalism Innovation, Management, and Leadership as part of its Innovation Fellowship Program. To learn more, go to grady.uga.edu slash coxinstitute. Thank you for being here today, and thank you for doing this with me. My pleasure. You have a really diverse background. I looked at your LinkedIn, and I saw everything from the Peace Corps to New York Times to the Haitian Times. As a student, you studied history. Yes, I did. So can you tell me a little bit about how that's affected your path going forward? Well, interestingly enough, because I started out at Florida A&M as a journalism major, and then that would sort of like foreshadowed my career, because when I got into the school, Looking at the uh, curriculum, uh, after a couple classes, I felt that I would get much more academic heft uh, doing more liberal arts uh, classes, taking more liberal, liberal art classes, and I did that. So I left the journalism school, but at the same time, I remained active at the school newspaper and radio station. And I be, ultimately became the editor-in-chief of the, of the paper, which I really, really enjoyed. But I just felt that I didn't need a journalism degree to be a journalist, and that was just me. That's the way I think. And ultimately, I got hired at the New York Times, and you know, a wonderful experience, same thing. But again, as we talk about, I, I have varied experience, and I and I and I'm a risk to get out of my comfort zone, and I decided, okay, the time was right to start the Haitian Times, which is a a, a public at the time a newspaper focusing on the second and third generations of Haitian Americans. People like me were either born here but came here when they were young and were as more American in many ways than Haitian. I knew some of the issues and I knew how to report them. And so it made a connection and impact. So I figured, well, if I do an occasional story at the New York Times, it was well received. So why don't I do one every week? So it's a newspaper. And it was a wonderful experience. Uh, it still is. I was going through the Haitian Times website and just looking at all the different stories, and I really appreciated the diversity of the stories that you cover. And they're beautiful. I mean, they have beautiful images. You cover artists to revolution to everything. So how do you go about covering this community in such a diverse way? Well, I think this is the, the, the secret source of journalism because when you're covering a community, you have to look at it from its complexity. Uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I, I, I will give you an anecdote. When I was in Africa, 
a lot of my uh, African friends said, you, you're African American. Their idea of African American was not somewhere. They had a, a, some notion about what we looked like. And I said, well, you know, we have different skin complexions as African Americans, some of very light skin, some of different shades. And this is no, you all, they had sort of like a almost stereotypical view that we were all light skin and long hair. It was, they had a vision an idea, a very well-baked idea. And I was kind of perplexed about it. And so I said, you know, I'm going to show you. It just so happened that I had an Ebony magazine with me. And I opened it. Lo and behold, everybody in that magazine was like the way they described it. And I realized, you know what? If I'm ever going to do a, a news a magazine or newspaper, I wanted it to reflect the reality, the totality of the people that we cover and the issues, the ideas. So I didn't want to, you know, create a stereotypes of who we are because people are complex and complicated. And we want to show that through our work at the Haitian Times. What is it like to build a publication from the ground up after coming from New York Times? Well, you know, the funny thing about it, I'm glad I was too stupid to know what I was getting myself into. <laughs> That's <laughs> it, how I feel about most of my life, too. And, and, and seriously, I mean, it was just basically... At the time, I was, I was 39 or something, very young, full of energy, full of myself, uh, not afraid of anything. And so that guided me. That ignorance actually guided me because if I was thinking about it, I would have done, I would not have done what I, it ultimately did. But I must say a lot of it, I had a lot of help from colleagues because I think uh, they were envious in a positive sense. They, 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 they really wanted me to succeed. They really wanted to help me to succeed because it was a way for them to live vicariously to to me. Because in a way, when you get to these sort of like mountaintops of, of the New York Times, the Washington Posts, of whatever CNN, it, it, it can get lonely up there. And, and there's a lot of you, you really like your problems is pale in comparison to the other people. When when you're complaining about things, they think you're a whiner, you're a complainer, but you do, you do have some real problems. And so in many ways, they see. Me, my leaving as a way to sort of like point a finger and, and show that it can work, that you don't have to be afraid because it is a very uh, terrifying move to leave the comfort and the prestige of places like that to do something like that. But at the same time, because I brought the prestige there and I think immediately the Haitian Times was able to gain some level of respect. Obviously, I had to earn it, but I, I, I had a win behind me coming in and I had like I said I had a lot of help for instance small as giving me a a photo that I needed I could call the New York Times photo desk so I would have quality stuff and they will share it with me without any problems to when the earthquake happened in Haiti in 2010 I had a whole stable of people willing to and and, and did edit stories that we were pushing out because we were it, obviously, it was a natural disaster. We were caught off, off guard. We didn't have the human resources to, to really handle it. And colleagues from the Times, from Newsday, came in, and they helped us in all kinds of ways and filling uh, the, the, the holes in the stories because we were moving so fast and making sure that we were sort of like one of the sources that people went to when they were looking for information about what was happening in Haiti at the time. That's an amazing way to use the resources that you have. And it's it's really nice to hear that the people who were with you before 
kind of stayed with you through that and supported till this day i mean till this day i mean uh that's who i, I lean on uh, right now going through this digital transformation that's that's things are, there's a lot more clarity now in, in what we do as a business and essentially last month i spent a day at the new york times observing watching and engaging in the way they do business these days. It's a completely different set of languages. The way the mindset is different, the approach is different. It's the only thing that's the same is news gathering. Even that has changed in many ways. So it was instructive for me to have been there and then they opened their doors for me and they allow me to see how things are done. Again, based on relationships that we built over 20 years ago, I'm still working. And one of the things that's important and you come into the business is that it is a core and the degree of separation is very small. I've met people today at Grady who I've met for the first time, but we have a lot of mutual friends and colleagues. In mid-career, you basically either work with everyone or you know someone who worked for someone. And so, and you know, you develop these bonds because in many ways, it's it's like most core, it's kind of lonely, you're almost cliquish, you know, nobody understands you. It's us against them because although you compete, but you protect each other's back. It's a very different thing. We compete uh, for stories, but after that, there's no there's no animosity, personal or otherwise. It's just, we, that's who we, unfortunately, we, we hang out too much with each other. And, and that's who you socialize with in many ways, because if you want to have an honest conversation, it's, you can only have it with your colleagues because sources are trying to spin you. They're trying to put on a face, and and it's not. It's and if you have to do that at work, you know that the 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 relationship is very transactional. But then when you want to hang out and talk, you you only have your colleagues to do that with. So so we tend to be very close and maintain that friendship and that lasts for a very long time. We were talking in class yesterday about the difficulty sometimes with sources and colleagues and closeness. It's hard to turn off being a journalist in your head and separate, okay, how can I stay professionally, ethically within my bounds, but still connect with you the way I want to? Well, there's two approaches. I look at this this way. If you come in a community, you're more able to develop sort of like meaningful relationships, friendship with leaders and people in that community. Now, when you're dealing with officials, that's a different sort of relationship because everyone has an agenda, but that agenda can get you in a lot of trouble because, you know, your antenna has to be up and make sure, and, and you know, you, it's always up, but more acute when you're dealing with elected officials and business leaders, people with something to lose, where when you're dealing with community activists, someone like that, it, it, it's so for me, I, I've never really covered Washington or, or the state capitol. By right of passage, I cover small cities. But after that experience, I realized I, that's not what I want to do. I got into journalism to tell stories, to, to give a voice to people who don't have access to power so that, you know, the system does not leave them behind because uh, it's unfair. It's a sense of self-righteousness, if you want, if you will. But, you know, that's why I got into it. And so and I want to come to the politicians, uh, the elected officials are my last resort. I take the issues to them, not take that issue uh, to the people because that's my philosophy. That's the way I, that's the type of reporter that I am. But there's nothing wrong with the other one. But from a personal 
satisfaction from relationship standpoint, uh, it's more difficult if you just covering officials. I love the community level storytelling because it can be exciting to go into state capitals and cover the government, but it's, in my opinion, a lot more interesting a lot of the time if you go in from the people's perspective and see what are they feeling about this and how can we tell that. And I think we also do more service to to the uh, community at large by bringing our issues that are in the way they're affecting real people. Because it's not a it's not a game. It's not a sport. It's not a football game. After that, you know, everybody. No, these are issues that affect people consequentially. And the impact can affect all of us negatively, one way or the other. Whether it be, you know, healthcare, the lack thereof. You know, we, for instance, look at now we've decided, we've discovered this opioid crisis, but didn't it didn't happen overnight? That's because journalists were not out on the ground talking to people. Now, of course, once we realized what was going on, there's been a lot of things being done about it. But we could have been at the forefront of it, informing people in, in high places, like, hey. This is a problem. But by the time we were writing it, they already had decided that it was a problem because they were seeing it. But if you were working in any community, you knew that problem existed. And so that's why we have to it's, – it's, it's hard work. I'm not castigating anybody, but it is sort of like shows you why it's important to really connect with people. That's where you're going to see the real issues at the at the big beginning stage. And when you're talking about then you you bring it up to to the necessary attention so that, you know, uh, something can be done about it. For instance, another issue that, that people have missed quite a bit, uh, right now anyway, is immigration. I think there's a lot of intellectual debate about immigration, but there isn't, there aren't enough stories to looking at what the impact. Okay, it's it's good to say you don't want illegal people no, to 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 be in this country. Whatever, great. But the reality they're here, and their crime is an intellectual crime, and as far as I'm concerned, particularly those who came here as kids. So now, okay, you get rid of them. What happens? What kind of impact will that have in any community, even here in the South that has become so diverse? the last 20 years. I mean, it's a different place than I remember. And so what are the impact? And when you are, and at the end of the day, people can have their opinion, which is fine. They, they, we educated, literal people, but it should be based on real information, not on fear or innuendos and, and, and on things that you are uh, ignorance. And so that's what journalists, uh, journalists should do. Right. And we can't shy away from a topic because it's difficult or because it's hard to get plugged into a community. I mean, now more than ever, we just have to fight to go in and not forget what we're here to do. Exactly. Why, why, why is it that just hark back from your days in college when you wanted to be a reporter, why did you want to be a journalist? And are you doing that? You know, are you doing, how much of it are you doing? And if you're not, it's time for you to leave the profession because, you know, you're doing a disservice to it. And bad journalists is worse for us than, than, than you know, uh, a journalist that has checked out, is just doing it for a paycheck, because this is not a profession you go into for the paycheck. There are a lot of other professions you can get a bigger paycheck. <laughs> so it's a different, you know, mindset that, that you go into this for. Obviously, you want to eat, you need to eat, you have needs, but if it's the money that's driving you, you're losing both.
because you're not getting that money and you're not getting the job satisfaction. Go to business school, you're gonna make a heck of a lot of money, more money than you would in journalism. You're not going to give the voice to the voiceless like you could. You could write a check in some organization that you care about, but you're not really making a difference. You have to have your heart in it and you're willing to go that mile. Yes. Well, thank you so much for doing this with me. It's my pleasure, Noel. Thank you for listening to The Lead. This episode was produced by Nate Brammel and Noel Lashley, with special help from Keith Herndon, director of the Cox Institute at the University of Georgia. For more episodes with media leaders, go to soundcloud.com slash the lead podcast or find us on Twitter at the lead podcast.